Jim Joyce. We did it, man. <laughs> we yeah. made it stateside. Yes, that's what I see and hear. So we're on the same side of the pond, actually the same coast, I think, also, right? You're still in Boston? Boston. I'm in Boston. The Boston. The Boston. I'm, trying to, I'm trying to do the coffee Boston accent, but I'm not yeah, sure if yeah. I'm doing it right. But, uh, I, I, I don't have it anymore after all these years living in Ireland. I say the, the Irish and the Americans are divided by a common language. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> So the big news that uh, this time, you know, the media did not cover as much as like the One Medical, for example, in Iora Health, which I know Chrissy Farr and uh, interviewed Malay, which was a fantastic breakdown of that merger. But I think the big news that just yeah. a quick shout out, uh, Health Beacon is going somewhat DTC, Hamilton Beach. I've actually never heard of the company. Yeah, before. yeah, yeah. No, you know, we, you haven't heard of Hamilton Beach? Yeah, yeah, no. So Hamilton Beach is the number one uh, household appliance uh, product owner. So they, all your, everything that goes in your kitchen, so small household appliance, uh, they'd be huge. So, so people would think of them for toasters and tea kettles and blenders and mixers and everything that goes into your home. All, all the things that so. I just pressed the button on and I don't know anything else beyond it. So. <laughs> yeah, they've been around for a hundred years number one supplier to Walmart. So big, big company, big, you know, well-known, obviously yeah, uh, not everyone maybe doesn't, doesn't think about their, their blenders over there. So they're going to, they, they just actually did, we, I just got off a call with them right now where they are, you know, they kind of strategically announced the partnership and um, it means that the health beacons product will be immediately accessible through direct to consumer channels, you know, come this fall. Congrats. Congrats. So, Thanks, man. You know, Thanks, man. Thanks for the commercial. Still, still on the shot. <laughs> um, yeah. And then uh, let's invite our guest. I know, you know, we're in America. We've had so many, you and I just chatted all the time. We've had so many American guests. As you notice, I think this season, we're trying to mix it up a bit um, and have an awesome, awesome, awesome woman. Lena Venner is going to join us. I met her um, for first minute capital. So we're going to talk finances and deals and all kinds of cool fun stuff as she joins in hi guys. Lena. hey hi. Good, hey lena good, nice to meet you good to meet you as well how are you doing good to see you lena i think uh last time i'm trying to remember we chatted i think marina and i were in berlin temporarily moving out or something and we had a catch up, but anyway. Exactly, yeah. I mean, we've, well, we've had on WhatsApp quite a bit since when you were in a sunnier place than me, but. Um, I'm talking like actually so you're like seeing you. Face to face, yeah. So you're, where are you now, by the Berlin. way? I know you moved to Berlin and then from back back to Berlin, I guess. And yeah, maybe just tell, tell us who you are and where you are and all the fun stuff. I will. Yeah, no, I'm in Berlin, hence the empty bookshelves behind me. I just moved in not too long ago, so I'm working on it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I'm an investor with First Minute. We're actually London-based, so that's where I started Inventure back in 2017. And um, last year, yeah, I kind of took the chance to move back to Germany. I'm half German, half Swedish. And um, given in the pandemic, it kind of didn't really matter where people were. I actually thought it makes sense to have, um, you know, to have someone here on the ground. We're a pan-European fund, very much see ourselves as as um, as European and not just 
not just UK. So um, I'm building out our portfolio over here in the in the Dach and the Nordic region and have really enjoyed it so far. And how did you get into the venture world, actually? So maybe back up for our, as I always say, millions of viewers and listeners. Um, yeah. To know you. Yeah. Yeah. So no, I actually started. So I, I studied psychology and economics um, and stats, actually, and uh, ended up uh, going the sort of boring strategy consulting route um, with BCG in Germany, where I was working actually mainly on sort of like stuff in the M&A world, um, cross, cross industry, um, and felt probably like two years in that actually there was, you know, you, you deal to some extent, you deal with laggards when you're in, when you're in strategy consulting. And I was, um, I got really interested in the tech world, had been for a while, but sort of felt like I couldn't marry that with my work. And um, then was really lucky to meet the people at first minute whilst they were just setting up. So it was just Brenton Spencer at the time, yeah. a really small operation. It really felt like a startup when I joined, it was just after the first closing of the first fund. Um, but I was excited by the vision, which was really like, you know, get the experienced operators um, who you've got across Europe and the US to back the next generation of entrepreneurs and, really leverage their expertise, their reach um, to sort of turbocharge their um, seed stage companies. So um, yeah, that was that was back in 20, summer 2017. Um, so I'm coming up to what, four years, I think. And um, we've just closed our second fund. So there was a sift up last week, which is $160 million. We sort of set out to raise, set out to raise 100 and then uh, we got into that sort of mode where it was like, well, let's raise a little bit more. Let's raise a little bit. Would be nice to have some more follow-on capital. And um, and yeah, ended up at what I think is a really nice size, given like road, rounds are exploding anyway. Um, it's good to have a bit more in the bank. And uh, with that, we're investing across Europe and the US. Um, and uh, seed, pre-seed and seed. Um, so average ticket is around a million. Um, we love leading rounds in Europe where we can um, and we're super sector agnostic so I think if you look at our portfolio it's probably one of the most eclectic portfolios in the seed stage you'll see um, that's by design very much so it's because we have those by now it's north of 100 unicorn founders backing the fund we um, think we get really interesting proprietary deal flow like across sectors and I think as a as a fund, our philosophy is very much like backing extraordinary teams in yep. markets that um, that are large enough to for them to get to venture scale. So, and are you are you focusing with your psychology background on the? I mean, or or you have a passion towards the healthcare piece of it, the digital health? Like, yeah. What's your... So, so I, I wonder how much it has to do with the fact that I studied it. I think it was more coming into venture. I sort of felt like where are the areas where one can really, really make a change and healthcare felt like, healthcare felt like one of them. Um, so I ended up, uh, ended up focusing on it. Um, you know, I do consider myself a generalist, so I don't just do healthcare, but it's one of the areas I think that I get most excited about. And uh, quite a few of my portfolio companies are in the digital health space. Um, and we, we really like it as a fund. So we'd love to do more in it. Um, you know, Brent has always done tons of angel 
angel investments before founding first minute as well and i think one of the, you know a few of the ones that have done the best have been healthcare investments so it's from that perspective as well we think there's a real opportunity um and yeah i get i, I do get excited about mental health uh startups partly i think because of the background yeah how do you get a uh, hundred unicorns into one room is it a hundred unicorn founders? Good question. Well, it's a lot of, a lot a lot of, of virtual products. rooms. Yeah. It's a lot, a lot of, of virtual rooms. rooms. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of like their noses get like hit each other or like they're. Uh... Yeah, um, that no, it's a good question. Um, I mean, we had we had thirty in the first fund, and I think we sort of cheated a bit because Brent um, obviously founded founded an event called Founders Forum, which has been going for. 16 yeah I want to say 16 years now and the sort of group that comes back again and again is obviously like a, a group of very established tech founders and I think in the beginning it was really a we trust you to do something great for the tech ecosystem with that money and um, and then we yeah spent a long time trying to really build a strong brand in the seed stage arena and um, and it sort of became like a bit of a snowball effect and and uh, our goal was to get to double the number of unicorn founders in the second fund and um like with the fund size we sort of like just went, oh, what if we get 80 what if we get 100 um and now we have some great people on board and it's really a privilege um and also the fundraiser is a lot more fun as you can imagine if you're pitching just there. kind of just out of curiosity, right? Because we, we always say like the best VCs are also been through the operating and scaling side, et cetera. And given the fact that your LP base um, are these, you know, serial entrepreneurs, growth engines, how much do you leverage that network for the companies and startups when issues arise, right? I mean, we started the shot, Jim and I, as a mental health outlet for two entrepreneurs, right? Um, and kept going and going and we always share experiences so the fact that you focused on lps as being these unicorn founders and serial founders there has to be a, a huge tremendous value for the startups in that as well right yeah i mean that's the whole idea there's no point in just you can get money anywhere these days sort of um and uh i say that tongue-in-cheek but but i think that the idea really was to leverage their expertise and to make sure that you know at the early stage there's so many decisions that you're making and there's so many hurdles that you're facing so if we can make that piece a little bit easier for you and just like sort of improve your probabilities of getting to a great outcome um by just putting you in front of like three people who've done the same thing um or who have made the mistakes before you so you don't have to make them again um i think that that can that can really change the trajectory of your business and the way that we do it is <clears throat> i know that some funds kind of like operate operationalize this to a much larger extent and they say you have to spend x hours a month with founders of ours we felt like it doesn't really work for us because we have we wanted to get loads of great people on board and we didn't want to constrain them into so, some sort of framework mm -hmm. we wanted it for them to be exciting to be engaging with a startup so sort of more like a pull factor almost from portfolio and um so, so it's it's a little bit more ad hoc we try and bring them on as angels as well so they have even a bit more skin in the game and the companies that are most suited to them um and so far i think 
you know we've done yeah it's it's been it's been a really great it's been a really great outcome and sometimes it's even just can you point me to the right person in your organization who can help me out on this issue and then it's just one email it's not you have to spend an hour with me and explain something to me right right i, I was gonna go go i'm dying to know like like um well i think you know both eugene and i have built a few companies and have been you know seed recipients <laughs> seed recipients of you know from funding i always know eugene like you you in that stage, it, just, it all depends on how old you are, not to be ageist about it, but it's like it's it's like um, you move through a stage of like extreme confidence and extreme desperation as if someone is trying to starting something new, you know. So you're kind of you know that the roller coaster, right? Like, that. Yeah. how do you feel about that on the other side and kind of dealing with entrepreneurs and that probably at some stages maybe you're competing for their intention and in other stages you're you know you're their savior. You're like, okay, I know I can push this deal through and then this, you know, this vision can come to life. How, how do you feel on the, with all that power? Well, I feel like, I mean, we're definitely competing, uh, typically competing when we give a term sheet to someone, right? Um, competing for their attention once we, when we try and win them over. But I think once we're on board, it's really, you know, we really try and be sort of like on demand to the extent that the entrepreneurs need it. And I'm on WhatsApp with, all of my portfolio companies and most of them I speak to weekly. And I think the, but the idea isn't, you know, make me show me your progress and like make, put me at ease with regards to what you guys are doing, but it's rather what do you need this week? And like how, if, if things are really, really tough, like having built a relationship where there's the trust there that they'll just tell you so that you can help. Kind of because yeah. once we're on board we're all in the same boat so there's no point there's kind of no point putting up a facade and, and at that stage right i mean i think as you're building these businesses everybody's trying to get the whole team and vcs included uh and and uh, and angels trying to figure out what does that business look like as it's scaling and it tries and goes and ebbs and flows right um and until you get to that further point you, meant, you, you mentioned something earlier, uh, you know, you went from this 100 million to now 160 USD because you, you said something very quickly, these large rounds, so it'd be nice to have follow on. And I don't remember when we talked, Jim, and with who on one of our, uh, I, I think I called it like the Tiger Global Squeeze Effect, right? They started at one point, now they've been doing seed deals. I'm, I'm actually curious on your thoughts on this, right? Because to your point, the, the, the rounds are getting larger. The economics, and since you have an econ economics background also, sometimes just don't make sense on some of these valuations. Mm. Um, but yet you guys decided to raise an extra 60, right? Um, to did, yeah. reserve for more. Um, God, yeah, I feel like on the economics front, I've probably forgotten all that I've studied, but it feels like <laughs> it. Um, but... How do we think about it? I mean, ILSM curves, ILSM curves. That's it. I know exactly. <laughs> um, I guess. I mean, I think at the seed stage, we're actually still in the best position with regards to what's happening in the market. Um, a big, I think, a big effect or a big uh, cause for all of this has obviously been U.S. funds pushing more into Europe. Um, typically series a and onwards so we don't see it too much at the seed stage and we have been super fortunate because actually 
we spend a lot of time building relationships with US funds. We probably spend the same amount of time with Series A funds in Europe as we do in the US. So um, just because we're investing there too. And uh, as a consequence of that, we've been in positions where we've been able to bring in the Sequoias and the benchmarks into European companies. And actually um, that's brought real momentum to our European portfolio but they rarely would snatch away a deal from us at the seed stage. So it's sort of like they're marking up our portfolio, which is nice. Yeah. Um, and you could argue that some of the valuations that we're seeing in the market aren't sensical maybe, um, but in a way for us at the seed stage, we're seeing the effect to some extent, but it doesn't materialize as much in the, well, we think it's not gonna materialize as much in the, in the returns just because as you know, like the way that venture outcomes uh, look, it's 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 sort of like you hit the few outliers, and with them, it it tends to not matter if you invested at a eight million pre or at a twelve million pre, because the because the you know because the outcomes are so outsized. So so we we don't have to be as price sensitive at the seed stage. That said, I think. Um, if it happens across the board, it will screw up your economics, your fund economics as well, right? So what's the best, what's the best if you're a digital health kind of tech company and you're trying to see it, what's the best location? So you, you is it Stockholm, Berlin, London, Dublin, mm. Barcelona? It's <laughs> so interesting because I see great teams everywhere in digital health at the moment. Um, I think there's, there's tons in the UK. There's tons in Berlin. My last digital health deal was in Munich. Um, we see lots in Sweden, in the Nordic. Nordics is like typically produced tons of digital health yeah. companies. And I think it's because you can kind of move a little bit more dynamically in those markets. Um, the NHS is hard, obviously. Um, but we look everywhere, I think is the answer. Uh, and we see great companies everywhere. I, I just had the discussion as it relates to Europe and like, you know, Berlin was kind of like for a bit, London, then Berlin, like a happening digital health scene. But I, I actually agree with you, you know, like, and, and I think, you know, I know we stopped sort of worrying about the, the C19 word being said on this show or not. Um, that was our safe. But I think the last year, let's call it that, um, I, I think sort of, I, I don't want to say equalized it in a sense, but really flattened the hub culture right uh, or this hub or that yeah I, I completely you think so well I think maybe in healthcare a little bit less still than in other other industries just because um it tends to be quite a local you know it, de it depends on your business model but it but it's sometimes difficult to scale health tech companies across across borders I guess so it kind of matters which market you're in but um but yeah it's, to it's definitely equalized uh, the playing field because also because a lot of the I mean a lot of the last few teams that we've funded have been completely remote anyway so it's like where where are you really doesn't how, how was that doing that due diligence and potentially meeting the founders for the first time on zoom right like yeah did you guys do any of these deals loads or I mean <laughs> in fact today we just spoke to a London-based company that also didn't come into the office so it was like it, it's now become, I think, almost the status quo to be doing deals um, just by meeting people on Zoom. It was uncomfortable in, at the beginning, I think. Um, and we really asked ourselves the question in the team, like, would we even do a deal into a company where we've never met the founders? 
I think um, we, yeah, we totally would. We've done like 10 or 12 since. So um, it's yeah. just, a, I think it's just a matter of getting comfortable with the format. Um, yeah. And are you doing business in Swedish or German or like? Well, um, it depends where the other person's from. So <laughs> I'll sort of adjust to my Good answer. Good answer. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, I do. I, I feel like a lot of the, I feel like actually a lot of the Swedish entrepreneurs, they're more comfortable pitching their business in English. Um, yeah. But I'll do it whatever, whichever way they, whichever way they want to, um, usually. But um, I spoke to Frederick recently, actually, from who you've ha had on the podcast. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we did, we did our meeting in Swedish. Um, but uh, it always becomes like a strange mixture of Swedish, German, English, because sometimes you don't, you know, you don't know, and yeah. Jinglish, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> I was trying to come up with a, with I a word. I tried to mix two of the languages, maybe not all three in one, but yeah. I was trying to mix that up. So, but let, let's get to health tech, digital health, I don't know. Um, what, what's your guys' pre-seed seed pieces? Um, you can still hear me, I think we're losing Jim a little bit, but... Uh, Oh yeah, he looks really yeah. happy though in his frozen screen. Yeah. Yes, the frozen uh, for our listeners, the frozen uh, happy Jim face uh, we yeah. just talked and witnessed. Um, so Jim, I was just asking Lena on let's get to the digital health, health tech, whatever we want to call it these days. Uh, lots and lots and lots and lots of activities in U.S., but we're starting to see quite a lot here. Cree, you know, Babylon, etc. This is already a later stage. Where are you guys are focusing now? Um, and maybe talk a little bit about your portfolio as it exists yeah. today for our listeners and viewers and some of the decision-making processes you guys took. Yeah. I know it's a lot to unpack. Maybe broadly to sort of rein in what we would even, what would even be in scope for us, I think is, you know, and it's almost easier to say what wouldn't be in scope because we are very broad in, in the way that we're set up. But sort of looking at medical devices that include some piece of hardware, we find typically quite tricky. We wouldn't invest in something that looks more like a biotech than a tech company. So we wouldn't invest in individual mo molecules. We um, like AI for drug discovery, we think is super interesting, but we kind of feel like there's a lot of activity. It's quite difficult to pick a winner there as well. So, so we're careful around that. Um, so that's sort of like, yeah, anything properly in the pharmaceutical space we find we find hard. So it's really more on the digital health front. And there, I think there's a few themes that we think are really interesting. So um, what I've been spending time on is sort of like picking, you know, the verticalization of healthcare. And I think it's really interesting looking at um, sort of groups of diseases or groups of patients where there's a very clear clinical pathway and there's like a lot of evidence for one particular type of care being really really effective but usually access to care is difficult so you might think about this in uh fertility um eating disorders i think is a super interesting space um but anything where it's like sort of like a large enough market but still access to care or good quality care doesn't really doesn't really exist so um, I'm looking quite a lot towards the US with that regard as well and interesting companies over there and seeing whether I can find 
something slightly similar and slightly similar in the, in, in, in Europe. Um, I mean, that I think is a really interesting theme. Uh, we even invested- Like, a, like an equip of Europe. For example, yeah, yeah, okay. exactly. yeah. Um, that I think is yeah re really interesting. Uh, look, look tons at the fertility space as well, the menopause space as well. Again, like big group of people who are not served very well at the moment by the existing healthcare system, but there's a good evidence for a certain pathway to be really, really effective. Um, we invested in a company called Nabla, which you may or may not have come across. Yeah. French company, uh, former head of engineering at Facebook AI, who um, is building really like a female healthcare app. Um, looks like a bit of a hybrid between a between a chatbot and an actual team of clinicians, but really tailoring to like one group of women um, and giving them very specialist advice, but still in the primary, still in the primary care space as well. Um, so that is one theme I'm spending a lot of time on. Um, I think, you know, we're looking quite a lot at the consumerization of healthcare as well. Uh, we're invested in a company called Daddy, which is um, male fertility, uh, but at home testing uh, over, in, over in the US. A lot of people don't know this, but male fertility has declined really heavily over the last 50 years and people don't really know why, but um, we've, always, we've always blamed the women for... Um, uh, for infertility but actually in a lot of the cases it, it is the men and we don't know so that we think is really interesting um, we like sort of the picks and shovels of healthcare as well uh, though I think it's almost that's obviously quite crowded in the developed world but I one of the companies I'm spending a lot of time with is Elephant Healthcare don't know if you've come across them they're um, a digital electronic health record system for the developing world. So um, really bringing something that's pretty, you know, lightweight, cloud-based. Um, the founder sort of calls it the, an NHS in a box um, to, to developing countries, which is interesting because you're almost leapfrogging you know, the way that the landline was leapfrogged with a mobile phone in those countries, you're kind of like leapfrogging from not going to the legacy systems and the, and the, and the, and the systems that you're seeing in, in more developed countries, which are clunky and, and difficult to, um, not very APIable and so on, to something that's cloud-based right away and super modular and, and easy to use, cheap. Um, so that's, an, that's a company we're super excited about. Um, and uh, and yeah, I think I think then there's always sort of smaller themes where I'm on the lookout for interesting companies. Um, I mean, digital therapeutics I've spent a ton of time on, and and my most recent health tech investment was was in that space. Um, again, I think always with a lens of there being a really really large target market, but maybe one that's slightly uh, that's slightly underserved. So. Um, last investment I made there and Eugene I've spoken to you about it lots but um, yep. a company called Vantis Healthcare which is digital therapeutic for uh, people with cardiovascular disease so um, yep. moved, yeah. um, which again is one of the biggest killers or I think the biggest killer in Germany so um, that's one we're also very excited about. 
First of all, just a quick comment. This is the first uh, in six seasons that we lost Jim for 30 seconds during the show. <laughs> we, we found him. So there's always a first on everything, on every episode. <laughs> yeah. I have to go inside the Wi-Fi box. I have to go inside the... <laughs> all good. You know, as you were talking about, uh, especially, you know, the European business, there's been a lot of these discussions that, you know, um, when you look at startups in U.S., that kind of scaling across the U.S., even though there is state-by-state -state regulations and all of that, but it's a homogeneous market. Yeah. Um, what is your feeling, aside from the tele-providers like Cree, mm. you know, I'll just I'll stick with Cree as the name. Um, I always get confused in the branding. But, um, and others, like, what is really, what is your thought on why is it stopping this, you know, growth within the European market for digital health, right? Um, and yeah. any thoughts on how some of your entrepreneurs are solving this, right? Um, yeah. If I'm not mistaken, is Clue also, uh, am I going Sorry? crazy? Clue is in your portfolio or am I? Uh, is no, this no. Um, no, okay. no we, we know them really well, but then okay. I, I think we went around when they were raising seeds. So that's okay. got it. I don't it's know why I connected, but... missing that. Um, no, but I think, it, yeah, look, it's a really good question. Um, we almost look at it, we want the company, if it's, if it's very country specific, we kind of want the company to be able to get to venture scale, even within that country. That's sort of like our base case, because we do see that it's wow. difficult to scale beyond. In Europe, that said, I'm I'm kind of hopeful that it's going to get a little bit better, um, especially as you know the the proliferation of like digital therapeutics is going to become easier. I think the EU is hopefully going to make it more straightforward. Let's see where it leaves that leaves the UK. Um, but uh, but so so I'm sort of like cautiously hopeful on it. Um, but a lot of the problems or a lot of the ideas that we've backed, they are actually, as I said, like they're large enough if. If Vantas does a great job, they can be a very big company in Germany alone. That's interesting, though. I, I haven't heard that before. The idea that within the local market, they have to re reach venture scale. Um, that's really fat. Because uh, I've thought a lot about that. In, in what does venture scale mean? Is it that that's a revenue target? Uh, that's a growth rate? Like, how do you think about venture scale? Yeah, I mean, the rule of thumb is like, can it get to a billion? Um, <laughs> but, or can it, I mean, the, the slightly more sophisticated rule of thumb is, is can this be a fund returner? So, um, but then obviously looking at how much are we putting at risk and then um, how much would the, how big would the company need to get for it to return our fund 1X? That'll be more difficult with a fund of $160 million than it is with a fund of 100. Um, uh, so um, yeah, but you'll have to big sort of back the really, the really big ideas. And then there's obviously, there are businesses which don't face the same constraints in terms of um, yeah. scaling as well, and, right? And more consumer-oriented businesses, exactly. right? Yeah. More consumer, yeah. Like Noom for Europe or something, something that's going direct to consumer. Um, mm. And that's that's really interesting too. And, and are you seeing your first startups coming in with like uh, their exit plan to sell to a SPAC? Uh, <laughs> That would kind of put me off a little bit, I think. Someone <laughs> was like, and my plan is going to, no, no, we haven't seen it. Maybe it's, maybe it's in the back of their heads and they're just not telling me, but um, 
We haven't I, seen it so far. Yeah. yeah. I would also say, I mean, I my prediction is the the stack heat will be over in the next twenty four months, right? I mean, it's hot now. We're starting to see already some of the slowdowns and new SPACs, right? So at, at the seed stage, Lena, I would assume, unless they get it done in twelve months, so like they're not spacking out tomorrow, right? But, yeah. Well, uh, let's see how it let's see how how that all develops. I I I'm sort of hesitant to make a call on which way it's going to move. Um, yeah. But uh, luckily, we play at the much earlier stage, so typically we don't need to care about that. And do you think about the public, like, like with the whole public markets changing? Like, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by like in Sweden, you have the Nasdaq Nordic, which mm. lists, you know, lots of companies much earlier than say would happen in the Nasdaq, and, and it feels like, you know, or back in the U.S. or even in bigger exchanges, is that like a viable route, or do people think about that, or is that just too early when you're talking to the companies? Um, frankly, I think when we talk to them, it's so early that we're like, don't think about that. We we do think about what's a potential exit here, but I think if the idea is big enough, this sounds so simplistic, but if the idea is big enough and the founding team is great, like if you build something of value, you're going to find some way or another to, 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 you know, to, to bring this to to an exit and generate value for your shareholders. So, so we're kind of. We're kind of more relaxed on that, um, I think. Uh, and obviously, there's lots of stuff happening in the venture world too, where people sell their entire portfolios because they're not um, they're not throwing off any money yet and uh, to return money to their LPs. So I think right. um, there's things there's things happening, and we're maybe uh, for better or for worse, we're we're uh, looking more at the short or the medium term of like how can we get this company to Series A? Um, how can we right. get them? Uh, Probably help them scale. Yeah. So you're looking at team t- Tam Tech. What would be like um, starting with a T? Great. Like execution or something. What? Don't stop. Another okay. Team Tech. Team Tam Tech. Well, let's come up with a word that uh, reflects execution today. 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 <laughs> transactions. Transactions. Action. Yeah. Traction. Ooh, traction. There we go. Traction's wrong. But, okay. but I think it's kind of We've backed a lot of companies pre-traction, so maybe it's uh, it's not a good one to include. But yeah. Yeah. No, I was looking at this more in an order, right? So team at the stages you guys are looking at, you know, team um, and then TAM, right? That needs to be yeah. a back to yeah. this. Any kind of USP slash tech yeah. and all of that that could be developed. And then of course as you grow it's yeah. can we coin this 4T thing yeah. right here? Right here yeah. on the, so. on the shot. So the four T's on the shot. I kind of love it. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think that's fair. That's fair. I think as a team, our philosophy is, and the way if you were to listen in on our investment committees, it does, a lot of it is surrounding the team and what have they, what signs can we see in the team of them being extraordinary executors. Um, but I think, um, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a bit of a philosophical question also. And I know a lot of people say market trumps team. Um, I think just historically we've been more focused on team than than um, as long as the market is big enough. Um, yeah. yeah. What, what's what's blown you away? Like what's surprised you about the like what's has just you know you had you have a, probably your 
sound like you're pretty disciplined about, but what just has surprised you in the last whatever? She's also half German. So. <laughs> I, 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 I paint I Lena, you know, please be on time as I always do. And it's like, I'm German, so you know, I'll be on time. Yeah. I have no choice. I have no choice. <laughs> There's one thing I'm good at, being on time. Um, do you... Do, do you mean in terms of how our portfolio has executed or just about the venture world in general or about health in general? Yeah, well, it seems like you have an interesting vantage point. Um, you know, you have a vantage point that you've, you've collected all these unicorn investors, you're making this investment, the world's been turned upside down. You know, it's like, you know, certainly some things must have blown you away or surprised you, you know, from the investments you've made, I'm thinking about. Yeah, I mean, Sometimes just market pull being so strong on something. Uh, and it, I think it's, is really interesting. I've also been really amazed by some of the people we've backed and the sort of personal development, the trajectories that they've followed themselves and how they've grown as founders. I think that's always really, really impressive to see and someone who um, starts in a team of three and might be insecure about a lot of things and then Rose to run a team of 100 people and it's like a really respected leader in that team I love I love seeing journeys like that um and and how people get there I think is is yeah. just really, yeah really amazing and really um inspiring as well and would you ever would you ever want to be an entrepreneur after witnessing all sides of the table on this or have you been maybe I feel like if I say uh, um <laughs> I don't to be honest like I don't think so. I, I really love being an early stage investor. I think it's a job that fulfills me in a lot of ways. I think it's really suited to the way that I am as a person. Uh, it's the right mixture of um, sort of like interpersonal connection and having to just like sit down and be analytical about something and, and really think. Um, and I think I am probably, um, I get quite bored going into one industry for too long only um, or just like spending time on one problem for the, maybe it's just like I don't have the attention span to stay on something for too long but I am sort of like I think intellectually quite curious and I like feeling um, like I'm learning something new every day um, the, the funny thing about being an early stage VC especially if you're a generalist is like you're always, you know, you always know less than you're, you're the person you're speaking to about a certain topic or about um, an industry. Um, and maybe you have a sort of more comprehensive aggregate view of the seed stage environment and what things to look at, but, but, it, but looking at a particular business or a particular product, you always know less than the founders, obviously. Um, and I, I like, I kind of like being in that, in that position. It, keeps me on my toes um and, and i think this there's a tremendous right i mean i as you're living and breathing sort of your own startup right as an entrepreneur uh that stepping back to the balcony view of things sometimes like holy crap aha moment right like because you're so like entrenched into what you're doing and how you're doing and how the execution you know someone like yourself pulling back Right. Uh, and not necessarily in a negative way, but just pulling you out of that and saying, hey, have you thought of this? Because I've seen this. Yeah. It's like <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just trying to get into a sense of like, yeah, just trying to get into a mode of pattern recognition. But, it, but I, 
But I think the short answer to your question is I, I like being a VC too much. Um, and and maybe that will change one day. I'm I'm. It's hard to it's hard to predict that. But at the moment, I I don't see myself going anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I know we're gonna run out of time, Eugene. But like this consumer, I think because you you know Eugene has a lot of experience looking at and talking about the consumer space. What's mm-hmm. what's blowing you away, or what's impressing you about the consumer healthcare space, or do you you know what's what's your thoughts there? Yeah, I mean. I mentioned Noom earlier, um, which I think is, you know, they've done incredibly well and they just raised another very big round. Um, I kind of think it's incredible how with a product that's going, you know, straight to the consumer, you've got no involvement from any in-person service, nothing. Um, You can have such amazing clinical effects or you can have, you know, such you see such amazing outcomes. And with a pure digital product, I think, um, there's something really amazing about that. And um, I think the, the potential of that to really affect people at scale is, I find what, that incredible. What do they say? Somebody said uh, it's like, because, uh, you know, Sidron team been at it for over a decade, I think now, right? Uh, it's mm-hmm. like the, the overnight decade success yeah. story, right? Or something yeah. like that. <laughs> But, but, but on the flip side, I think there's also a piece that worries me about the consumerization of healthcare, which is, um, and I, I try and be really cautious because I think the consumer is really easily fooled. And especially with things around health, where a lot of the things that we get told as consumers are actually not clinically backed up at all. Um, I think I'm thinking a lot in the supplement space is kind of, I'm feeling a little bit uneasy about a lot in the personalization of uh, healthcare space is still, we don't really know, I think. Um, and the scientific evidence is thin at best. So um, I, and and this is sort of like taking a philosophical view on it, but I don't like us seeing, you know, I don't like us investing in things where I am hesitant on the science, but I think that could be a big business because a lot of people would buy it um because I think it's uh it's yeah it doesn't sit right with me so so that's that's I think the flip side of consumerization of healthcare is is you'll get you'll get a lot of people selling things to the consumer that um don't necessarily work and 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 I think that's wrong and they use the word science just to sway the consumer even though they may or may not be science behind it, right? Um, it, it's interesting that like we're, Maureen and I, uh, we've been approached by so many supplement companies to put into the marketplace for the coaches. And we're clearly saying no, right? Because we, A, as a young company, we don't have the validation of these. And it just, it's, and a lot of the health coaches are, you know, health scribing supplements. And yeah. Uh, to your point earlier, like it could be a ginormous marketplace business, but it's just, it's yeah. not, it's just too murky, put it that yeah. way. Yeah, it's this challenge though, because like how, how many innovations are being blocked by the system that could provide the real benefit to patients under the auspice of they don't have enough evidence or they don't this or that we don't trust them and, and then how much is that true? So it's that tension, yeah. right? Like that that's tension so, that is. So, so true. Um, and it's very difficult as an investor to see through what's where's there a real benefit, but people haven't recognized it, 
Um, right. Why is it actually a scam? <laughs> and um, and or the placebo uh, effect, right? Well, the placebo effect is an action, right? Which <laughs> it, it, yeah. it works. But but I've always been I've always been on the side of I would prefer not to go too far into the alternative medicine homeopathy space because I just feel like, um, yeah, I wouldn't leave it. Feel yeah. comfortable. Yeah. It's funny. Uh, who do we have on? We had. Um, uh from hymns uh on and uh, jonah 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 on and jonah was talking about with digital health tools that he saw that the primary difference difference or one of the key differences on effect if you had a good tool let's say you have a good piece of technology that has a good thesis and a good impact that the difference between it being highly effective and not effective was execution you know it was like it that was almost it was it was yeah. from what he could see yeah that's really interesting so just we can keep going another couple of minutes but maybe jim i'll hand it off to you for your yeah. final question so you're so picture yourself a, a young uh, seed uh, stage digital health technology entrepreneur based out of uh, uh, not stockholm but maybe a village just outside of stockholm what what advice and they have an exciting company and they're starting it up what advice would you give them move to stockholm <laughs> from the village into the city um, um i think surround yourself with people who've done it before um to sort of soak up the knowledge that you can get um make sure it's sort of quite generic advice probably give it to any to, to any founder um in any industry um but but uh make sure you're first Two or three hires are like world class, um, and uh, and yeah, don't stop um, when it gets awesome. hard. Yeah, people. Basically, the answer is people. Surround yourself with good people. People and, and yeah, don't stop. That, yeah, I think that's a good <laughs> mantra anyway. Fantastic. Awesome. Well, you have a great evening, Lena. Thank, Thank you. you for joining. And uh, this was wonderful. And uh, for the millions of viewers and listeners, just hit that subscribe button and follow. <laughs> Thank Thanks you for having me, guys. Thanks. Cheers.